IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello, everyone, and welcome to IndieCast. On this show, we talk about the biggest indie news of the week. We review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode, we're going to be talking about live streaming concerts, specifically the new subscription series from Bands in Town, and just the viability of streaming shows in general. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? So, so Steve, um, I know we consider ourselves you know, critics, writers, podcasters, maybe not so much the last one, but I think like above all else, like all people who do podcasts, we're artists or artists, if you will. And, you know, the thing with art is that you just kind of have to let the muse enter and follow her wherever she might lead. And, you know, I realized that last week as I'm pretty sure no episode we've ever done has had the instantaneous and impassioned impact as the one that we did about Ska. I mean, like the right. moment that hit the air people were like yeah it's good like just friends isn't scott and like i apologize to the band just friends the energy and the horns are ska you do not play ska uh but nonetheless it was just like great to see like how many people have just been waiting to be activated by someone just acknowledging their existence and lo and behold on monday uh i wake up to an email announcing that the mighty mighty boss tones are A, back, and B, signed to a label run by Tim Armstrong of Rancid, who were, of course, not a ska band, but Time Bomb, certainly a ska song. So, I mean... Yeah, kind of kind of ska, Jason. Yeah. They had some, like, punk ska songs. Yeah, they, they signed Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And I wonder, like... You know, I feel like we touched on this a little bit last week. Obviously, they, they got the IndieCast bump. <laughs> you know, Tim Armstrong it's was... very real. ...listening... To our show, and he's like, "Get me Dickie Baird on the phone. I'm gonna hand him a check for ten million dollars for the next Boss Tones record." Mm-hmm. Um, I I just feel like you know we've all been locked up for a long time, and um, uh, it's it's been kind of a grim, uh, <laughs> you know, almost almost like twelve month period now of being in lockdown, and now people are getting vaccinated. I think we feel like oh, we're gonna get out in the world now, mm-hmm. and. Um, if ever there was a time that was opportune for for skanking, I think this is the time. Like people want to skank out of their doors, yeah. go out in public, skank in bars and restaurants, and skank in shopping malls, and skank in the the town square. Yeah. It, it's really skanking open across. It's open the for United everything, States. man. Like I, I like I wonder. Like, if ska is coming back, and like I hope it does. Like, what other trends that people are just absolutely not at all about but it's like well this is better well, than lock- you know what's this next. is better than lockdown like it's it's time to bring back well we'll talk about one specific blog rock trend that came back later in this episode but you know well i mean i mean you know what's going to happen if if uh, ska's coming back the thing that is immediately going to be swing exactly it's going to be the swing music revival. Oh God! Uh, Big bad voodoo daddy. Uh, get yeah. get the zoot suit out of the closet. You know you probably haven't been wearing pants <laughs> for the last year, like the rest of us. <laughs> Dust off the zoot suit. There's going to be a zoot suit riot, I think, in the streets of America. Uh, once we can all get out of our homes again, mm-hmm. we're going to be skanking. Yeah. And that- we're going to be swinging. Uh, it, it's going to be a nonstop party in 2021. I think that's going to yeah, be maybe I'll the s- energy. Maybe I'll start working at the Gap again. I did work at the Gap during the Swing Christmas of I think it was either '98 or '99. <laughs> frankly, like I, I don't know how. Like I really look back on that specific time of my life as just like a mystery of how I survived that without going insane. I just you know? thought of like I mean I was just thinking of like the Brian Adams song when you said that uh, Swing Summer <laughs> of '99. Yeah, I, I got my phone. Me and some guys from school. Yeah, we it was not it swung was, a lot and we swung real hard. It, it was more Yo. it was more like that was my first year of college and like for that brief period, like the guys in the marching band who played horns, like they found themselves like vaulted several steps up the social hierarchy and it didn't really last all that long. So I think by the next semester, like swing had already crested. But you know what they they had a good run. Um, so I don't know. I'm down for whatever. But, 
you know, as as people who frequently reveal our age as writers who are children of the 90s, um, I I must it's clear that the next thing we have to talk about is Weezer. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, speaking of ridiculous music from the Clinton administration, uh, Weezer has a new album. You know, apparently you reviewed this album, and I wonder if that review will be up the day that this podcast posts. Yeah, Uh, I I think it could have a real impact. Are we allowed to say this? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, probably. Is this this top secret? Not really. Okay, because you you reviewed the album for Pitchfork. I assume... um, Another best new music mm. for Rivers Cuomo and company for this record. It's called OK Human. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> I feel like Weezer, I, and, I, and I wrote this once, I feel like if you put like two guys together that were born between like the ages of, or born between the years of like 74 and like 82, that they will end up talking about Weezer at some point. Like it's just like, like a total cliche of that. Uh, demographic cohort and now we've totally fallen uh, uh, victim to it you know I listened to four songs mm. uh, from okay human like the new Weezer record I had to stop uh, you know I, I I'm not even like I think I'm like past even like the morbidly curious <laughs> stage now with with Weezer like where you check in and you're like oh what the hell is Rivers thinking like you know is this ironic is this serious you know that was intriguing to me for a while well past that point. I mean, I don't know if you can say how you feel about the record. Oh, yeah. Look, because th- this stuff is all like, I think the cool the cool thing about Weezer is that you they're one of the bands or one of the demographic fan bases or what have you that still feels like people, whether you like them or not, can like you can get a free shot at them. Like, it, yeah, you'll probably get some like Weezer fans, like maybe you know, voicing their opposition to your opinion about the Teal album. But, like, they're kind of seen as a fan base. It's, like, sort of a free shot. And uh, I think for 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 them... There's a lot of fan bases like that, yeah. though. And they don't ask for it as much as Weezer does. Yeah. I think Weezer... And, look, I'm saying this as a person who grew up with them. I've written a lot about them. Yeah. I like them. Weezer begs for yeah. it. Like, a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of artists take shots, and I feel like they're not... Like line stepping as like uh, consistently as Weezer does, mm. and uh, this album, I mean, it seems like one of their like air quotes serious records. Mm. Although like Rivers Cuomo has like a ridiculous mustache and like a weird sort of like uh, coffee shop barista haircut now yeah. that he has in the music video for. And, yeah, I did watch the music video for the new single, oh. so like I guess I'm not totally over like my sickness yeah. with this band. Um, it just sounded like, cause there's, I mean, like the, the sort of concept of this record is that they're working with string sections. Yeah. 38, now. 38 piece orchestra. And, um, yeah. yeah, I mean with, with this, with this album, like it, I found it to be a real Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man moment when they were on the Simpsons last year, uh, they were debuting a song from the shelved <laughs> album Van Weezer, which was supposed to accompany their Hella Megator with Fallout Boy and Green Day. And it was like that, like it's. You know, Simpsons, Weezer, both, like, I would not be the person I am today without those. You know, make of that what you will. Um, but they they somehow, like, still go. And I don't know. Like, I talk about the Simpsons. I talk about Weezer. And, I, and yet I don't know who is excited about new material. Like, it exists. It happens. They'll keep going until someone tells them to stop, which no one will. But, like, who... And like every now and again, you'll get, I'll run across someone who's actually kept up with everything who will say like, no, like there, it's actually better than you think. And to a degree. Well, yeah. I mean, it's actually That SNL sketch is. Yeah. That SNL sketch with Matt Damon and Leslie Jones. It's like one of like, I mean, SNL is like falling off, but like that's a pretty (laughs) brilliant sketch that breaks down the, you know, divide between people who believe that. You know, they were great on the first two records, and then you have, like, the lunatics who are like, no, the Teal record is, like, a subversive act of, like, genius, and it's really fun, and why can't you just like fun? I love that Weezer was on The Simpsons, because I feel like that's totally catering to, like, the emo Twitter demographic, (laughs) because I, I feel like emo Twitter is basically, like, just Simpsons memes, and, like... 
uh, you know, self pity. Like that's like that. That is the emo Twitter hmm. like theme. Like I, I see those two things. Well, you're, you're mi- coming out. You're missing. A you're, lot. you're missing all of like the DIY like arguments and also like people trying to well, one up each other. Well, I was being facetious. <laughs> I was. I was being. I think I was being a bit facetious yeah. there. You're that t- was a joke. You're talking about like emo Twitter, like through the prism of like myself and Dan Ossie and when like. What? Well, there's a lot of other. This is Simpsons memes are pretty big in yeah, that, in no, that they're, uh, they're, corner of the world. They're, they? they're enormous. Like every time I think of like a Simpsons quote, um, like this pops in my head. I like wonder myself. I wonder if there's been a Nemo song with that title before. So yeah, the the overlap is big. But I mean, with with Weezer, it's I list like short, sh- like long story short. I kind of listen to them every third album. Which you know, kind of, with which makes a new like writing about a new album like a little more interesting because you know you haven't completely been, um, you know, immune to whatever the heck Rivers is up to, and it's like it's fine. Like I, I, I j- I'm just super curious about like whether there's a young like whether it's like the Doors in a way where the Doors happen when like you go through your Doors phase when you're feeling like young and pretentious and want to be like a poet or like you have this like ridiculous sense of self and whether there's this like regenerating younger demographic of like Weezer fans who are just starting to feel like super awkward. And that's when you find the sweater song. And those two things are well, enough. The, the, the difference with the doors is that like Jim Morrison died when he was 27 and like, they didn't keep making records <laughs> when he was like in his fifties uh, and had a stupid mustache and a, you know, another dumb haircut. Like I think if <laughs> like, he would have got was never cooler, Weezer was never cooler than like when Rivers Cuomo like went to Harvard yeah. for a few years in the late nineties and it looked like they were never going to get back together. Like that's like when they were at their peak coolness and then it's been downhill ever since then. Uh, but anyway, read Ian's review uh, if that is up already. If not, look out for it. As for me, I am never going to listen to the rest of that record. I think ever again, and I'll be I'll be pretty happy uh, to ignore uh, OK Human. Let's get to our mailbag segment. Of course, we did a mailbag episode last week. This was actually going to be in our mailbag episode, but then we ran out of time. Uh, but this is a good question. Uh, it's from Mike S. Thank you, Mike S. for writing in. Uh, after the great tweet the other week about the difficult second impeachment, that's a reference to my great tweet. <laughs> Thank you for noticing my, a great tweet of mine. Um, it got me thinking, what is the best sophomore album of all time? It's interesting because, as the saying goes, you have your whole life and no pressure to make your first album. Your second album is 10 months and a ton of pressure. Obviously, Nirvana's Nevermind comes to uh, mind. <laughs> but what else? That comes from Mike S. Uh, good question, Mike. Um, you know, yeah, never mind. Obviously, a very great choice, like one of the, like, you know, sort of classic benchmark second records, a, a, kind of like the classic example, probably, of, of like a band leveling up on their second <laughs> record. I mean, I think, I think Bleach is great, but obviously, never mind is like the, you know, every song sounds like a single, uh, and that album clearly was a huge hit and changed the trajectory of the 90s, as we all know from. 90s music documentaries that we've all seen a million times um i was just thinking about this i don't know how you feel like i like the second records that come to mind i would say like the bends by radiohead paul's boutique beastie boys uh if we want to go like more kind of older classic rock stuff like astral weeks by by van morrison is a great example i think funhouse the second stooges record um i feel like siamese dream would have to be your choice ian if i had to predict (laughs) Yeah, gosh, we're talking about like Weezer and the Smashing Pumpkins in the same episode, you know, a little kind of playing to type here. But um, yeah, I think what and also it's it's a great question, because I think with the sophomore album, these are like competing legends where, yeah, the first album is like no pressure in your whole life to make the first one. And a lot of a lot of the reason people might gravitate towards the debut and say a band never topped that is because there's just like a total lack of self-consciousness. Um, it's seen as more of like this divine inspiration um, that happens and bands can never recapture it. They get too much in their own heads or there's too much pressure, you know, and that can certainly be the case. I mean, there are countless uh, examples of bands who really nailed it on the first record. They did everything they set out to do. And then after that, it was just, you know, pale imitations thereafter. But the sophomore one, 
you know, there there's a couple of kinds. Like you mentioned Paul's Boutique or Astral Weeks. Like those are ones where, you know, a group really goes off the deep end and just does something that was completely unprecedented or complete, not even like predictable at all from what they did at first. And then there are the ones that I'm a little more interested in. I think the ones that Mike S are referring to where it's kind of the leveling up where, uh, you know, the thing about making a debut record is that a lot of bands who do that have no idea really what they're doing. Um, they don't have a real sense of like craft in the studio or, you know, they get a little self-indulgent and yeah, Siamese or they're like, it's the most derivative record usually that, yeah. that you make too. Like you're, you're, you're much more beholden to your influences on the first yeah. record. You haven't really discovered who you are. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I would, I would put the bends in that category too, which I don't think people think of it that way now, because you look at that progression of Radiohead records and it seems like not that dramatic of a change, Yeah. but like in, um, in the nineties, I, I, I feel like the bends was kind of looked at you know, to make reference to my great tweet, like as a, <laughs> as, as a difficult second record, that it was like a more challenging record yeah. than Pablo Honey. I would also say too, like the reason I, I put the Benz or, or Paul's Boutique near the top for me is that like, you know, again, we think of the Beastie Boys and Radiohead as being these like sort of, uh, you know, landmark bands of their era. But like at the time, I think they were both looked at as like, potential one-hit wonders Absolutely. that had almost like kind of shticky hits on their first record and i think there was an assumption probably in both cases that like well you know beastie boys they're just like this white frat boy mm-hmm. group they're gonna fade away radiohead they're like a sort of a nirvana or pixies also ran yeah you know they're gonna go the way of many mtv buzzbin bands and then they both kind of come up with like really ambitious second records that like blow people away and it really establishes them as acts that are going to go the distance and yeah. not just put out one record. Yeah. Because uh, I think a lot of times, if, if your debut is your best record, a lot of times you end up fading like fairly quickly. I mean, some people can keep that sustained. Yeah. I guess you know, think of like the Strokes or Interpol. Or Weezer. Who, you know, <laughs> or Weezer. Although, you know, with Pinkerton, I think a lot of yeah. people would say is a, a great second record. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but... You kind of lean more towards the level up, yeah. Like, uh, side. You, you you mentioned the Beastie Boys, and I think mate like the one of the greatest examples of like a second album leveling up uh, also comes from that sort of era. I've I've, I've read um, a couple of really uh, incredible books about like hip hop history, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, and the Big Payback, and both of them talk about uh, pu- what what happened with Public Enemy on their first record. Now you wouldn't think of like Public Enemy as like a group that ever had a trouble getting its intentions across or that seemed a little tentative, but you listen to yo bum rust the show and it was somewhat successful, but like nobody was like listening to them. Like they were weirdly enough, just a band, like a, an act that was seen as like, you know, for college radio critics. And then they make uh, it takes a nation of millions to hold this back. And that's kind of an example of a, you know, an act that really figured out what they were doing, became much smarter about studio usage, much better about like um, developing their message. And also an act that had uh, taken criticism of their first record and and really applied it. And so, I mean, like that to me is perhaps in hip hop, the best example of a second record. But I mean, Siamese dream also is in that, in that realm because I mean, Gish was uh, it was a good record, but and I I don't know how serious Billy Corgan is when he's saying this. He likes to you know p- print the legend as it were, but he would see uh, ten by Pearl Jam and Nevermind, and he would think like he was basically suicidal because Gish had not achieved the success of those records, and so he just you know hunkered down and made Siamese Dream essentially by himself with you know Jimmy Chamberlain on drums and. Um, I think it's it's I think it's kind of impossible for us to not talk about you know Celebration Rock is kind of another record which basic which did the same exact thing as the first record but a lot better. I think those ones are pretty rare because you know they also took four something you know four years yeah three or four years to just think to themselves like okay what have we learned on the road what works how do we do what we did when nobody was paying attention. And now that people are paying attention, how do we make everything bigger, better, and also uh, just more confident? 
and yeah, that comes across there as well. And you know, my I think the, I think I think Loveless too. But oh yeah, that's definitely it has to be in that conversation as well as just like I mean, isn't anything is a is a you know, great good, record, but, but like just but but just kind of taking what they did on the first record and just exploding it and and then pushing it like to its greatest potential and you know that was a band i think it was it was like 22 years then like at, you know until their third record i mean yeah. so they were like our yeah we we freaked it so hard on our second that like we're we're just going to take the rest of the 90s off as well mm-hmm. as the aughts <laughs> and then we're going to come back uh with that so yeah, I mean, yeah, I hear you. I mean, I, I I do think that like the level up thing, and this sort of ambitious left turn thing, I I do think that they merge sometimes, like mm-hmm. where you can level up, and also just totally sort of remake expectations for like what people had for you yeah. after your debut. And um, I th- I think I have to mention here, you know, like my favorite album of all time, Jimmy Eat World's Clarity, which is one of those albums where they. Did, like it's got all of the above. It's the one that flopped and got them more or less dropped from their label. It was the one that pretty much changed the trajectory of emo as we see it, and the one where they really came in to their own uh, as kind of a stylist. Because um, you know, the first album it was pretty standard issue Midwest emo, and then they you know added electronics, bells, whistles, uh, and made this album that was you know mostly not maligned by most critics and got them dropped. And then they made bleed American, which is another reboot. But yeah, I I think I'd be remiss not to mention the album. That's like my favorite of all time and embodies all those things. People were worried that you did not work an emo reference into this answer, so I'm or, glad. That, or home that... like no place is there, but that's uh, well, a okay. Story. Now you're crossing the line. Uh, yeah. No, it's uh, so yeah, lots of great second records. I'm I love second records, and I and again, I would just say that like if you can make a great second record, that's a, usually a sign that you are not going to be a flash in the pan. That like if you can make a great second record, you're probably going to be able to make a great third record, and, and so yeah. on and so forth. Um, unless you're Oasis and you peak with What's a Story, Morning Glory. <laughs> Although Be Here Now is one of my favorite third records yeah. of all time too. So anyway, and here I had you had to talk about emo. I had to work in an Oasis reference. Uh, everyone could check off uh, their boxes yeah. for IndieCast for that segment. Um, all right, let's get to the meat of our episode here, uh, talking about uh, streaming concerts and the new subscription series from Bands in Town. Now, Bands in Town, you might be aware of that website. It was basically a place like where bands could like post uh, their tour dates, uh, kind of like a pole star, but like for like indie bands essentially. And they recently announced uh, a subscription series called uh, Bands, Bands in Town Plus. And basically, like for $9.99 a month, uh, you get access to 25 uh, live stream shows a month. I guess it's more than 25 some months. Uh, and this started earlier this month. And, and so far, there's been uh, performances by Phoebe Bridgers, Adrian Linker of Big Thief. Uh, there was a Jeff Tweedy performance, and uh, we're also going to be looking at, uh, in the future, there's uh, sets from Robin Pecknell, the Fleet Foxes, uh, Flying Lotus, Soccer Mommy. Uh, there's a lot of Joe Bonamassa gigs oh, on there, yeah. the, 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 the blues <laughs> guitarist. So, um, you know, we, we've talked about streaming concerts on this show, and, you know, and I've said that, like, you know, I, I expect this to be a significant part of the industry even after live concerts come back. I mean, we don't know when live concerts are, are going to come back. It's probably going to be, I would imagine, like a relatively slow rollout for that. And it's something that I generally support. Uh, I, I, most of my experience watching streaming concerts is like in the jam band scene. Like the, mm. as like the jam band scene often is with technology, like they're a little bit ahead of the curve uh, with everybody else. Like this has been a, a part of like you know that like corner of the world you know going on like a decade almost at this point mm-hmm. uh bands live streaming concerts uh the, the the so-called couch tour you know where you could just yeah. like sit at home and watch nugs.net and see, see bands play live but now we're seeing it more in indie rock and you and i both checked out bands in town this weekend um why don't we start out like just by talking about what we liked about the service yeah I would, I would just say like in general you know that like with these types of things 
like the easiest way they can get like screwed up is on the technical end that like mm-hmm. things don't stream well, lots of glitches or you know maybe they look like crap or they don't sound very good. And you know for a new platform I thought like on the technical end uh it was pretty good. I mean there was like a few glitches during like the Jeff Tweedy concert I watched uh, last Saturday night but other than that it it was going pretty well. Um I have to say too that like one thing I liked about uh, the performances I saw was that there was an effort made, uh, particularly by by Phoebe Bridgers and Adrian Linker, to like present a live performance that wasn't just, you know, people sitting in like an empty club. Like they were trying mm-hmm. to kind of present something that was like a little bit different. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers was in it looked like a, a rehearsal room with uh, Ian Gruska, this piano player who was also he's, he's like on her production team uh, mm-hmm. for her albums, and then Adrian Linker. Uh, she was actually at home or at her parents' home in like the Minneapolis area. And like her grandmother was like painting behind her. Apparently her grandmother painted the album covers of like her most recent Ah. uh, solo records. Um, So I thought that was kind of interesting. I I liked that aspect that was a little bit more creative uh, than that. And I think that is a good way to kind of think about these performances as something that isn't obviously a straight concert because you're not there. Uh, and maybe might be something closer to like cinema in a way, like a like a hybrid of music and cinema, like kind of trying to present it in a more sort of cinematic way. So those are the things I liked about it. Like, what are the things you liked about like the shows that you saw? <laughs> I mean, I just want to you know step back a bit and say to talk about like how at nine ninety nine you can stream more than twenty five live shows per month, um, and. I'm just trying to let that sink in about like what it might be like to actually go to 25 shows in a month and how uh, like, man, what would I stream? You know, 20, 25 live shows. Like what would that lead me to say? Well, I got 25. I might as well use it. And you know, just like scraping whatever bottom of the barrel exists there. But I think it's just really I, I was just surprised because, um, you know, bands in town, like you were saying, was like I thought of it more like a Polestar sort of thing or just something where you would check like tour dates or like fact check reviews. And all of a sudden now it, it might be this like major player in whatever live or quote unquote live music uh, does. But you're absolutely right in that, you know, the the the, the glitches were really the thing that uh, prevented me from fully embracing this form of, um, you know, music broadcasting during 2020. Like I would watch a lot of bands, you know, particularly the ones I like who didn't have, you know, very high production values or sort of learning this stuff on the fly. You would go on Twitch or whatever other streaming platform. And like, there would be like this kind of weird warping effect sometimes. Like it would sound like a, a half step down and then go back up. Like it was like tape manipulation or something like that. And that was obviously not at all a problem with, uh, what Bandcamp was doing, particularly with like Adrian Lenker's set, um, you know, the sound was just fantastic on that one. You know, not that I expected any different. And you're also, I also agree that the and the, she's playing like very quietly too. And yeah, that was the thing. Like, like, like you felt like you were, you know, sitting right next to her when she was playing. So I mean, <laughs> I guess she had a microphone, but like she was singing like. It didn't seem like she was singing as out maybe as she would yeah. in a normal show. I, I paid very close attention to her setup, and she ha- I think she had a microphone for the guitar and one for her vocals. Uh, and But otherwise, it was like one of those shows that that I would see sometimes at like houses where people would just be sitting like cross-legged on the floor, like super polite to the point where it was kind of weird. Um, but I think that, you know, and also the cabin setup really um, established – a sense of place, particularly with the album that she was playing from. I mostly, I believe like songs and instrumentals. Um, I have to point out though, even if it is like kind of endearing to watch her, uh, grandmother paint while she plays people who like lived through the blog rock era. Remember, uh, this act called cloud cult, which, um, weren't they from Minnesota? Uh, yeah, we we're, we're big on painting while during shows here in Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, that's that, a big that's a thing we love, and th- and that was seen as maybe just like the peak of preciousness during the blog rock era, um, like things like that, or like like I don't know, like freelance whales or what have you. And 
I'll I'll say this. I think we've like alluded to this in previous episodes where we've talked about Big Thief, but there's like this streak of real preciousness when they talk about art, particularly Adrian Lenker, that if anything causes people to turn on Big Thief, it might be stuff like that. Um, But nonetheless, at this point, it's still it's still pretty cool to see uh, that sort of interactivity. I didn't mind it in this context because, you know, she was at you could tell that she was like in a house and it felt like a little more sort of intimate. Like if it's on stage and you're seeing it in person, I think it hits differently than it did there. Like yeah. I didn't necessarily think uh, that it was precious. It was, it was very relaxing to watch. It reminded me of uh, uh, like, who's that guy on, on PBS that paints stuff. He has like the Bob Ross, like the Brown Bob Ross, very Bob Rossy to me. Uh, although this is sort of, I guess, transitioning to like the stuff we didn't like about uh, you know watching these shows, and uh, a little bit because you know I'll say again like I am a supporter of streaming concerts. I think it could be a really great thing, um, but uh, the downside is that like a lot of times it's even you know even when it's done well it, it, it's kind of boring. And I'll, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I'll say like watching these shows. On bands in town, you know, I found myself looking at my phone a lot, you know, being mm-hmm. kind of distracted, not really ever kind of giving myself over to the to, to the music. And you know, I was asking myself like, why am I not feeling engaged by this? Because I have watched streaming shows in other contexts, and I have been really into it. And you know, I like all the artists I saw again. I saw Phoebe Bridgers, Adrian Linker, and Jeff Tweedy. I'm a fan. And you like them. those? Obviously, you like them. <laughs> I like all those artists. Obviously, they're all kind of coming from the same sort of singer-songwritery wing, and it seems like Bands in Town is mainly in that vein right now. I don't know if they're going to be expanding beyond that as they uh, roll out uh, a little bit longer here. But I was trying to think, like, why am I not feeling engaged? And I really think that for me, the thing that is that was missing in these Bands in Town shows that has existed in some other streaming things I've seen is the engagement with other people who are watching. Yeah. Um, that's obviously a big part of like the in-person live experience. Uh, but like, you know, when I think about say like the jam band stuff that I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, usually because there's such a, you know, devoted following for that kind of thing. Like if you go on Twitter and you tweet about it, you're going to get like responses from like a dozen people who are also watching like the Trey Anastasio stream that night. And, if you can interact with other fans in that way, it it feels more like it's actually happening. Like like the thing with these concerts is that like on, on Bands of Town is that I, I don't think like many of them were actually live. I think they were canned yeah. performances. And then there's a weird thing on that site now, like where you can't there's no archive of performances. Like it's basically on the time that it that it's scheduled and then you can't go back even like for 24 hours or something, which I think is like a pretty big negative of that site. Um, you know, because like, are you going to set a clock to watch a streaming concert? I feel like there should be like some uh, leeway there for the viewer. Like if you show up an hour late that you can like still see it from the beginning. Um, but you know, I, 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 another like really great streaming show that I enjoyed was like when the Hold Steady played their three night stand at the Brooklyn Bowl in December. They did this thing like where you know they were playing on a bowling alley and there were screens around them like that where you could see fans watching them. And it sounds kind of corny when I say that, but like when I was watching it, it actually made it feel more like a party watching it. You saw people drinking beers, you saw them having a good time, holding signs. And it kind of added to my own, it, it, it created more of like a fun festive atmosphere that I found infectious as a viewer. Like a lot of these band, bands in town shows, a, a constant with the performers was, you know, the performers commenting on how, on how awkward it was <laughs> to be performing <laughs> in this context. Like Phoebe Bridger said that a couple times that like she was trying to do like between song patter. Mm-hmm. And she's like, it's really hard to make jokes when there's no one listening, yeah. which I totally understand that would be awkward. But like to be reminded of how awkward and cold mm-hmm. this, you know, scenario is, isn't always like the greatest thing as a viewer. You know, it kind of takes you out of the experience a little bit. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Does any of this stuff make sense to you? Like, yeah, your own experience? Because yeah. you were kind of bored too, right? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I mean, first with the, you know, the, the setting the time to be there, I mean... 
I think that it's trying to, and once again, we're all still kind of working through how to make this stuff work, but like, how do you incentivize, you know, the eventitude? I'm just making up that word of it all. Um, <laughs> but what happens with streaming is that, uh, it ha you have to account for the fact that like everyone's on a different time zone. Like, uh, you know, the Jimmy world, uh, album length, uh, concerts that are happening, uh, in this week and next, uh, they begin streaming at 2 PM on, on, on the West coast. Now, granted you can watch them pretty much anytime you want afterwards, but, uh, they have to take into account the fact that like people are going to watch it on the East coast overseas, etc. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not sure how that one's going to be solved, but as far as like being kind of bored, um, you know, when the, when the Adrian Lenker concert started, I'm like, I thought like, okay, I'll, I'll check this out now. Like just kind of dip in, see what it's like. And when I got there, she played anything, which, you know, my estimation is by far the best song on songs. And I saw it and it's like, this sounds great. And then it's like, okay, maybe I can do something else now. Um, it doesn't have, it, it doesn't give a lot of incentive to stick with the entire thing. I think you're kind of screwed either way because if you can stream it whenever you want, you can think, okay, well, I'll just get back to it. Um, and unlike in a concert setting, you know, you can pause, go to the bathroom, check Twitter, you know, just kind of do any, like there's a billion other things you can do aside from, you know, fix on whoever's performing. And yeah, the, the crowd interaction is, uh, you know, crucial, not just as music as a social uh, event. I mean, I love concerts. Uh, you know, at not not so much because I like to see how a song gets reinterpreted live, but more because I'm very very uncreative in my social life, and it's you know it's like oh there's a concert in town let's do that because it's much harder for me to think of like more creative pursuits. But when I I, I think you're getting to the the root of what's happening with you know live and or film performances in the current time, like um. You know, if our, I guess we can call our friend of the pod, uh, Miranda Reiner. She wrote a, uh, a newsletter called Something Old. And she talked about something that I think is really astute, which is that in, throughout a lot of 2020, live performances like or live streaming or what have you were supposed to be kind of a replacement for uh, concerts, basically just recreating what you would have seen in a club, except we're at home now. And I think that what... The, these performances are trying to do is establish something different. You know, it's like, yes, this isn't going to be like what it is being in a sweaty club, but it's also something that provides its own value. It's just trying to create this, this new form. And in a way, I almost think that this is going to bring us full circle back to like a pre MTV idea of what music videos were. My understanding of this era is not complete, but what I, Sometimes I would see like on VH1 or whatever, uh, like old Led Zeppelin videos, um, what like the, what their equivalent is, which is that like it's, you know, they'd make a single and like throw some live footage on it. And, you know, that would be it would be like almost an advertisement for the record. Um, and I, I do wonder if we're maybe heading back towards that, because I mean, like, why would I see, you know, like, why would I see a punk band? perform perform like to a crowd of no one like when and well i mean I, I i think the thing is is that and you know i want to go back to what i was saying like the shows that i responded to the most i guess like the jam band stuff in the yeah. whole city we're talking about groups that have like a real community around them and Absolutely. i think one reason kind of speaking to what you were saying that like people go to shows because they love the music but they also want to be like a part of a community yeah. and um I, and i think that for these shows to really work as streaming that like you have to find some way to recreate that and i think you know whether and i don't really know how you do that because it really kind of <laughs> depends on the fan base in a way because again like it's not like like when Fish does like a live show, it's not like they're a live stream. They're not telling people to tweet about it amongst themselves. People are just doing that on their own. It's like a very organic thing and it creates something that's more fun. It's like it is akin to like watching the Academy Awards or any sort of like massive event, except it's obviously concentrated on, on a particular scene. Um, yeah, I don't... I mean, I think you're right. I think there is going to be something about that sort of like music video reemergence. And 
like if you can't recreate the sort of community at a show, maybe it is thinking more about these performances again, like in cinematic terms, not just in musical terms, like th- that we're not just going to sort of have this utili- utilitarian like video that is kind of flat and uninvolving that we're going to maybe figure out some kind of way to make it feel like to engage someone like you would a, with a TV show or a movie, but it's it's music now, yeah. you know? I, and so it, I'm very curious to see how this will evolve because I think in a way, you know, well, you know, these types of things have been around for a while we're seeing an embrace in a wider kind of way now than ever and in a way it feels like we're at the beginning of something like i'm yeah. curious to see how this evolves yeah and as far as like the interaction um you know i've tried doing that a little bit particularly with um oh, oh my god like it seems so long ago like the first I think it was April or May of last year or whatever, where you started to see like those Minecraft festivals where you would get bands like performing or doing DJ sets within Minecraft uh, or Twitch. I I think it was either platform you would get like chat windows. Um, And those are, I mean, I, I don't really interact much on Twitch anyway. So that whole thing is a bit intimidating, but it's it the interaction with these things is just kind of distracting in a lot of ways because uh you know you have like thousands of people all trying to be in the chat room and you know it just goes so quickly um well the chat rooms are garbage i mean yeah yeah, it it can't it can't be the chat room um you know again i feel like there's certain things that like maybe just aren't applicable to every artist. You know, I think there's like certain artists that are just, it's just easier to engage in that Mm -hmm. kind of way. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I I wish I had more constructive (laughs) ideas here on how to improve this thing. I, but I I do think, you know, like when I was watching the Jeff Tweedy concert, there was a Q and a afterward. Uh. And I wonder if there was, if there's just some way to like, make that more part of the show like again to go back to the trey anastasio example like when he did his live streams between songs he would he could see like the stream of com- of comments on on twitch because that's where they mm-hmm. were live streaming those and he would like engage with that sometimes and, and, and make reference to it and be like oh yeah this guy said that he just proposed to his girlfriend and blah 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 and I actually found that endearing. I, I like that. It it, it, it it again made it feel like more alive. Yeah. Um, in a way that a lot of performances. Um, so I just wonder if there's like some way to like integrate that. I, Maybe. I, I just think, I just think like the interaction of the audience and the performer is like the essential, you know, sort of core of what like what live music is yeah maybe 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 i need to like start doing (laughs) maybe i start need doing that at home you know like maybe every now and again like schedule to have like a beer poured on me or like (laughs) design it with like you know tell tell my girlfriend hey like lock the bathroom for like you know the next 15 minutes so i can't get in uh or use it just like recreate like all those things that remind me of like oh yeah i don't miss this stuff at all about live music but um I also wonder if, like, maybe we're in the uh, the midst of a reassessment of, like, I'm going to get, like, super late aughts, early 2010s, like, Le Blago Tech or, like, takeaway shows, um, which were you know, a major driver of, like, how am I going to post new news about local natives or bear in heaven? Where it was these, like, kind of staged uh, live performances that um, were just kind of news items, but also just reimagining uh, like the almost kind of stunt live performance where they would do it in a big church or, you know, completely acoustic or something along those lines. I don't know. I mean, it, it I, I just wonder though, like what sort of, you know, besides jam bands, you know, we're basically living in Trey Anastasio's world right now. Like what sort of bands <laughs> could stand to gain from this style? Uh, like the streaming, model because you know i hear 9.99 a month and i immediately think spotify and i also think well you know there's more access to everything but also spotify seems to benefit the upper crust alone of this i mean like who stands to benefit <laughs> you mean in terms of like artists or yeah or like who, who who like artists like who is who is who is set to like 
really take advantage of this or like because you know i think of like live music not only as like an experience but as for bands a means of you know getting the name out there and building up their reputation and being seen um you know like the more bands tour the more they you know become connected with other bands and so forth and it's like there are some you know bands that become a thing because of their live act there like who who stands to you know level well, up? People who are good live, I would say people who are good live first stand to benefit. Like I mean, I that guess. seems like the, like, the, like like the simplest answer to that. Like it's like anything that goes viral. That if there's yeah. like a clip of like a band that plays really well, they'll they'll stand to benefit. I mean, I again, I think that at this moment in time, especially that really you know even as we kind of figure out like the best way to do this that it is like a net positive that this is being attempted yeah (laughs) i'm glad that like that it's happening even if it's not always satisfying because i think the only way that's that it's going to improve and we're going to kind of figure out like the best way to present this is through trial and error and and again i think we're at the beginning really of like certainly indie bands thinking in in this kind of way but personally i would love it if indie bands maybe took this as a inspiration to like kind of rethink how they do their live shows and to yeah be a little bit more creative about it. And not only in a streaming context, but also like when live music comes back, you know, <laughs> knock on wood. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I recommend something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right. So if, if you know me, I like to listen to music that um, kind of counterbalances uh, what when, when kind of counterbalances the general narrative about like people wanting, you know, something that's more uplifting or people really got into ambient music or just something that speaks to our isolation. Um, for me, I've been listening to a lot of the new portrayal of guilt record called We Are Always Alone. Um, Portrayal of Guilt is a band that put out a well-received, more or less screamo album in 2018 called Let Pain Be Your Guide. That was something one of my doctors said to me uh, when I broke my foot and he talked to me about like how I can know if I'm ready to run again. But, you know, they're they're the sort of band that opened for Touche Amore and Death Heaven when they did uh, that uh, tour. And um, in this new album, they are they worked with Will Yip and Philip Odom. And they've taken things in more of an industrial kind of cold way, but black metal sort of way. Like, if you want to talk about like sophomore album leveling up, you take like a really, really strong anthemic screamo album, but like do everything nastier and meaner and just more hostile. Um, And that's what Portrayal of Guilt have done here. And it's not a record where I think, oh man, I would love to see this live. Like, I think frankly, a Portrayal of Guilt show would scare the living hell out of me. Um, I, I just wonder like how I, my glasses would fare. Um, but I think that this album, like a lot of the better screamo records of 2020, uh, is actually really well suited to isolation because when I hear this, I just want to like do push ups on broken glass or do any sort of like exertion, uh, of like just punching things, but also solo. And I, I think with 2021, I'm hoping that there's more of an embrace of this kind of nastier side of rock music. I think that it's generally not taken all that seriously anyway, but I I also believe that as tastes become more chill or live music becomes less of a concern, that stuff like this, um, which is really pushing boundaries and pushing the genre forward, tend to get seen as more of a niche thing. I think they are, but... This record particularly, I do see this as, I don't know, maybe in like 2031, we're going to think about like a time when people had gotten portrayal of guilt tattoos. Um, I just, I think of this record and I think of fellow Texans Pantera uh, when with their song, they had a song called Fucking Hostile. That's this album to me. So obviously can't recommend it highly enough. <laughs> it reminds me of like... Uh... The bass player from Pantera wrote a book that I can't remember his name, but Rex. I think his name was Rex. Rex. Rex Brown, and he wrote a memoir that's pretty good. So I'll. That's my addendum to that uh, yes. recommendation. Uh, uh, my recommendation. This actually came up a little bit earlier. Uh, uh, Ian referenced this, but I just want to give a shout out to 
uh, Miranda Reinhardt's something old Substack, and uh, I've been into this newsletter lately. I have to say that like a lot of Substacks, I can kind of take or leave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, there's there's not a whole lot out there that I think is really distinctive. But like, what I like about hers is that like, it's uh, it's focused on like I think sort of a, a specific area of thinking about music, but it's also you know, within that, it's like pretty broad, and she kind of goes in like lots of different areas. Uh, basically, she writes a lot about like how the internet and technology affects like how we as music listeners engage and understand music, and also writing it about it from like a DIY perspective. Mm-hmm. And Miranda, um, I, I, we both follow her on Twitter. I know her, like, I mean, I don't really know her at all. I know her f- from her Twitter, but like, uh, I gather that she's like, like fairly young. I think she's like in her early twenties. Yeah. So she's writing it about it in a way like, you know, she's, she's writing about these things that we talk about on this show a lot. I think, especially lately we've been talking about, I mean, obviously today we're talking about streaming concerts uh, and, and, and just, you know, talking about streaming music in general and how this affects uh, you know, our experience as music fans. And I'm, you know, really intrigued to always read Miranda because I think she's a good writer. And also she's coming at it from a perspective that's like, you know, not uh, two middle-aged guys, you know? She's like she's <laughs> a younger person, you know, someone who's born like in the late 90s. Uh, and uh, someone, I think, who is coming at this like from a different perspective maybe than you and I. Because you and I can remember a world where uh, the internet didn't really even exist. And then you have this generation, obviously, that was sort of born and raised in the internet era. And just how that affects your perspective on these sorts of things. So, um, and I also say that I think Miranda's funny too, which yeah. is also helpful to me because I feel like in general, I'm always looking for music writers who are thoughtful and smart, but also have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And that can be really hard to come by, <laughs> I think, in in music writing, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, I would, uh, you know, if you're curious about like, Again, a lot of things that we talk about on this show, but you're looking for a less washed perspective. I would <laughs> check out the Something Old Substack uh, from Miranda. Reiner. Yeah. Uh, it's good stuff. All right. Well, thank you again for listening to this episode of IndieCast. Uh, we'll be back with more reviews and news and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.